Do you want me to say it? Go ahead. This is Stitchcraft Podcast number 18. That's right. We made it to 18. We didn't give up yet. Woo! <laughs> Woo! Cheers. Cheers. So you have some... Well, let's just get right to the point. Well, What's think... in your cup? <laughs> <laughs> well, first, I'll, I'll introduce myself since the, oh. the, one of the you know few pieces of feedback we've gotten <laughs> is that we should probably say who we are. When we start, right? Sorry, I'm so. looking at you. So I'm like, why do I have to introduce? <laughs> but I realize, yes, this is an audio podcast. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so I'm Island. <laughs> Island, also known as Ashleen. Um, I say Island. So well, on the podcast, I've always used Island. Oh, you so. have? Yeah. Do you do you want to start over? No. <laughs> no. Okay. We're just, nope. We're just gonna do it. <laughs> Perfection Keep rolling, losers. Um, <laughs> Perfectionism uh, is for people who have a lot of time on their hands. That we don't. Um, well, let me just uh, stop clambering and causing more problems. My name is Miranda. I'm the other sister of the Stitchcraft podcast. And welcome. <laughs> Hi. So uh, we have a very special location in which you are reporting from. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> which would be our mother's bedroom in Ann Arbor, Michigan. It's, yeah. it's quite a party here. Uh, so, um, since mom just revealed to me this morning that she listens to our podcast, I'm oh. going to keep the commentary on the room relatively minimal. <laughs> Hi, mom. <laughs> hey, mom. Um, oh. But yes, uh, mom's room has the best natural light in the house. Um, and since you guys don't see us, but Miranda and I see each other. I sort of thought it would be good for us to have light so that when we show each other projects and stuff, uh, you can actually see them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so um, I'm here in Ann Arbor. Um, it is sort of classically Michigan milk sky, as usual. Even in the summertime, it's cloudy. <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> I mean, it's bright. You know, you can tell that the sun is out there somewhere. But it's, you Still. know... It's not intrusive. It's like everything else about Michigan. It's like it's there, but like, you know, I don't want to get in your way or, you know. I mean, you still got to put on sunscreen, yes. but it's not like full on sunglasses. You, yeah. You know, it's a little bit good and bad. Yeah, um, it's true. But yes, you were coming all the way from Ann Arbor, another part of our homeland. True. I would say. True. Although I did not come home for fun. I came home for to take a class on... Um, the development and use of mouse embryonic stem cells. So that's what I'll be doing next cool. week. But it's sounds like a, that sounds like a light workshop. Yeah, you know, exactly. was, <laughs> was there homework? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, I was assigned a couple of papers that I have to make a presentation on. And I'm, I am scheduled to present uh, next Wednesday. Cool. So that was, it was really funny to explain to my team of residents and medical students that when you're in academia, you're never too old to be assigned to make a fool out of yourself in front of other people. Never. 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 Every day's a school day. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> and this is one that I paid for and then drove eight hours to come attend. Um, but it'll be really good. Uh, this class is led by the folks who are kind of the, um, 
the best people in the country at it. They're the people that everybody else, you know, refers to. So, um, so I'm happy about that. Um, and I'm taking the weekend off now to record with you. And then next weekend, um, the class will be over. So I'll still be able to do some hanging out stuff. And in the meantime, it's back to school for me. Ooh, well, dang, just dang. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you had asked before. Well, because we were saying cheers to each other. We literally were like, clank. And I just got right to the point. Um, Fair enough. But now let's, let's answer the question. The one that segment that I've heard that a lot of people enjoy. So what's in your cup? <laughs> so um, I am drinking a bottle of beer, mm -hmm. not a cup this time around. Um, so since I got to Ann Arbor uh, late last yeah. night, I am drinking whatever was left in the fridge the last time that I was visiting mom, because as you know, mom does not, well, she doesn't drink in general, but she certainly doesn't drink beer. Um, so what we left behind was um, from Shorts Brewing, um, which is in Elk Rapids, Michigan. So it's the northern part of the Lower Peninsula. As and... we learned last episode. <laughs> As we learned last episode. <laughs> They are very different. Life lessons. Okay. Well, lang yeah, and language differences. I mean, they are <laughs> an entire accent barrier apart. Mm -hmm. um, so what I'm drinking is the Howland Chanaski, which is described as a traditional German Dortmunder lager. So to me, I would say it tastes like a... It tastes like the kind of lagers that you're used to having, kind of like a nice... Um, ambery lager, a lot of caramel flavor. It's a little sweeter and a little fuller than I'm used to lagers being. I often think of lagers as being a bit more on the just less robustly flavorful side compared to ales, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but this one I would say is definitely like a, it's light in color while still being pretty malty. Like if I didn't know um, if I, if this was like a blind taste test and I had no idea what this beer looked like, I would be surprised that it isn't um, like a, almost like a brown ale or something. Um, oh. so it's, it's caramely, it's a little bit sweet. It's got a nice round mouthfeel. It's really nice. Uh, the way they describe it is an emphasis of the ordinary through the assistance of extraordinary people, which sounds like a thing shorts would say very sure flowery has no actual, doesn't actually explain anything, but it is clever and cute. It's very much like them. So Yeah. That, that's that's what I'm having. All right. Um, I am having a local beer as well. I'm in Minneapolis, by the way, if people didn't know. Um, I'm having something from down the street. Nice. Called, well, and where I live in Northeast, or excuse me, Northeast, if you say it right, uh, Minneapolis, I'm in walking distance of a number of breweries. Dangerous and awesome at the same time. <laughs> Um, and my, one of my favorites that I definitely love stopping by whenever I have the chance um, is Indeed, I-N-D-E-E-D. -E -E um, I realize that with my voice, it probably doesn't sound very clear what the hell I just said, but Indeed, as in yes, Indeed. Um, and I'm having their Peach Bum IPA. So it's... Um, That's a really cute play on words. It sure is. <laughs> and do I buy it every time? Yep. <laughs> Do I already, should I try other beers when I'm there? Of course. Do I? No. <laughs> I just like this. No, they actually have, um, I would say that Indeed is one of my favorite breweries here in Minneapolis. And it's not that I've gone to a ton, but it's also, I just think the most um, far ranging as in different 
profile, lots of different types of beers. Like they have a lot of good sours, they have good IPAs. They try a lot of stuff. They have bottle service, which is really cute if you go to their uh, tap room. And you can share a really interesting bottle of wine, not wine, sorry, bottle of beer that is like, you know, a Lambeck or something with, you know, you and a, and a date or you can try a lot of cool stuff out that's only there. Mm-hmm. Um, but Peach Bomb is sold everywhere. It's kind of great. And uh, they have incredible art on all of their cans. I'm really pleased by uh, the whole aesthetic of Indeed. And I can't wait for you to come to visit so you can go there. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm having just a Peach Bum IPA. It's a solid IPA. I really like that on the notes, they have a visual notes with icons. Oh, nice. (laughs) So, you know, you don't have to be a native English speaker and get the vibe anyway. That's good. It's very much an emoji world. Uh, There's a picture of a peach. There's a picture of a half of a pineapple, so it says tropical. And then it has an eyeball, and it says vivid. (laughs) as a bam. (laughs) So... I really, really like this brewery a lot. I think it's, um, I've not had anything that I'm like, never again. I'm always just like, oh, word, I'll try that. I'll have this. I'll have that. And they let my dog hang out outside, which I'm down for. Absolutely. It so, seems to yeah. me like there are a lot of peach beers right now. I don't remember there being so many peach beers in the past. It does seem to be like the flavor of the month or the flavor of the summer. I wonder if it's kind of like, I've also seen a lot more salt beers. Mm-hmm. There's been a lot more like, it's like essentially the, uh, the Bud Light Lime of craft brews have happened many places as well. Like dog, um, is a dog fish head brewery has the sea quench ale that I love, which is like lime and Himalayan or not Himalayan, but black salt and some other stuff. It's really good. Um, and it's a sour session ale, so it's not super heavy, but it's still sour. It's all like, there's a lot of profile stuff going on, but the peach thing is interesting. And to be fair, it's a, it is a seasonal fruit here, but what has to plan? Like IPAs take time. Yeah. So I'm curious what, um, I mean, I guess they don't take as much time as other, as some beers, but you know, it's a seasonal fruit to have in your beer. Mm-hmm. So it is interesting. And right now all them peaches are on sale. Over here in the Midwest, so high time for it. (laughs) True, it's true. Um, But yeah, I'm fine with it. It's mellow. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that they have um, bottle service because that's something that um, I think I first experienced that at Jolly Pumpkin in Ann Arbor. Oh, yeah, Um, they have big bottles. Yeah. Yeah, so Jolly Pumpkin, I think, is originally from Dexter, but they opened a brew pub in Ann Arbor a few years ago. And Jolly Pumpkin, for those of you who don't know, specializes in sour beers. And And have for a long time before the sour craze. That's true. So they opened, (laughs) they opened, Jolly Pumpkin opened when a lot of people had no idea what a sour beer was. And they were real surprised to find out that not only (laughs) were those beers very sour, but that was all she wrote. Like that was all they had. They weren't here to try to cater to your palate. They had a product. They did it well. They got a lot of awards for it. And they were like, here, this is what we do. And they didn't, you know, they were not shy about telling you that that's what it was. I still think people, you know, it's like when, when you go to a, a, you know, a Cantonese restaurant or a Thai restaurant and they tell you the food is hot and you're like, yeah, yeah, I got it. You don't got it. It's, it's going to be spicy. (laughs) It's just outside of your realm of experience. So I distinctly remember one of my friends who does not drink at all. Like he never, ever drinks. I, I don't, 
I don't think he's ever had a drink in his life. But he went there because it was a restaurant and a bunch of his friends wanted to go. And none of his friends really quite understood what was about to happen either. So he was like, yeah, they all had the beers and they, they were not happy. They thought everything was terrible. Um, because, of course, when they describe the beer, they don't say it's sour because all of them are sour. So they tell you the, the tasting notes within the sour background. Without, a, I mean, there might have needed to be a giant sign that says, these beers be sour. Like, right. watch out. <laughs> yeah. So now, now if you go to Jolly Pumpkin, that's not the only thing they have. They have, obviously, the majority of what they have are their own beers, but they also have um, stuff from North Peak because they've combined, I think, the owners, the same owners own both. Ooh. So North mm-hmm. Peak beers are more um, like a lager, a Pilsner, uh, Amber Ale, you know, that kind of thing. So um, you can go there and get beers that are not sour. Um, but yeah, Jolly Pumpkin was the first place I went where uh, they had, you could order uh, maybe eight things on tap, but then they had bottles, like 750 mil bottles of their specialty beers that you couldn't get anyplace else. And then you could share them with people at the table. Yeah. And that was super cool. fun. Mm-hmm. Right on. I thought it was really sweet. And I definitely would not have ordered off of the bottle service menu had I not seen a really cute couple at the bar as well ordering off of it and they were like you got to try these and I was like all right there's something about brewery culture that everyone talks and it's I mean I would say the same for wine culture too like when you go to wineries like there's it's just a much more social structure versus going to a bar for some reason the bar shuts down it's just like and you're on a date or oh you're with your group or you were there by yourself (laughs) like there is no um interaction the way that like breweries and wineries are so yeah i was really happy i tried it so yes that is what is in my can nice and it is a really pretty can i like how it's sort of like peach and yellow and sort of a dark pink or red tone on it's a very tonal can in terms Mm -hmm. of the colors that they chose it's neat it also like has such a um they have this kind of style artwork on almost all of their cans and then throughout the brewery itself they've really highlighted the artists that they're using um i'm not sure who's sure who it is or the connection to but it's just a really well made graphic design yeah it's very linear but not there's a lot of line quality and it's busy but beautiful and flows it's cool yeah. it's kind of trippy well if there are yeah. any any listeners who are aware of who that artist is when we post this uh, episode on Instagram, please feel free to tag the um, artist or leave us a note about what their name is. And we will try to tag them to give them credit for the awesome work they're doing. I can definitely also do some research and make sure I get on it. But yeah, so I'm a fan. Well, uh, let's just cut to it. What's your worst in progress? So, my works in progress are, um, I took a real deep dive, like a real deep dive back to a project that has been hibernating. I looked back on Ravelry to see exactly how long it's been hibernating. Six years. Uh Six years. Yes. I started this project six years ago. It would be starting kinder. Actually, no, it'd be going into first grade island. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, sure would. It sure would. It would have opinions. If it's anything mm-hmm. like me, it would be getting sent to the principal's office for standing on a chair and yelling at the kindergarten teacher, I hate you, mm-hmm. which I it, did. It, you did. 
I don't think anyone in that town forgets it. Well, I don't um, think anybody who knows me is probably surprised that this happened. But yes, when I was in kindergarten, um, I for I don't even know why because the kindergarten teacher was awesome. You had her, you loved oh. her, like she was wonderful. Mrs. Lovetsky was the shit. Yeah, well, she'd swear, but yes, she's great. <laughs> I shouldn't quite shouldn't swear about kindergarten teachers. But <laughs> she was a shit, but she was great. She had a great track record. But yeah, so. For whatever reason, I got my nose out of joint about something, and I stood on my chair because otherwise, I guess I was afraid she wouldn't be able to see me or hear me. (laughs) And I pointed at her and shouted, I hate you, Mrs. Lorbecki. So number one, I didn't even get her name right. I didn't even (laughs) pronounce her name correctly. Number two, I said something horrible to a kindergarten teacher who you know is a goddamn saint. Um, so I definitely got sent to the principal's office and mind you in later years, mom gave me my uh, report card from kindergarten. Mm -hmm. Have I told you about the fine, um, non labeling and really open minded language that Mrs. Lorbetsky used to describe me? No, I would love to hear it now. <laughs> so basically, you know, a kindergarten report card is not A's and B's. It's like, you know, does she... Satisfactory. Yeah, does she show yes. up to class? Does she sit in her seat? Does she wash her hands? Is she learning her colors and her numbers and all that stuff, right? So all that stuff is like, yes, it's happening or no, it's not happening. And if it's not happening, what are we going to do about it? And all of my stuff, like I was doing all the things I was supposed to do. But then there's the free comment section each quarter. <laughs> Free comment. Right. So oh. like you just make comments on, you know, the progress that is being made or not being made. And so on, on your soft skills, if you will. Yes, on my soft skills. <laughs> and so the first quarter was something like, um, you know, she's she's doing this, she's doing that, she's she's doing the things that she's supposed to be doing. Second quarter was basically like, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Quarter three was basically, you know, Island is um, really, you know, growing and developing well. And she's developing a lot more patience with people who don't do things the way she wants them to be done. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, oh, I can hear I can hear Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to keep going over. Talk. Go ahead. <laughs> you can just, you can hear. <laughs> can you hear the glass of wine as it left her lips as she tried to figure out how to write that? <laughs> I can hear her pour another glass going, oh boy. <laughs> how am I going to tell a very, um, you know, open-minded couple like Linda and Carl? about their strong-willed daughter <laughs> who has not gotten a whole lot better <laughs> but she's, a bit better but not a whole lot she's better. making improvements making improvements <laughs> oh i also think that there was you know in one of the <laughs> one of the earlier parts of the the um evaluation like quarter one you know how they like like you say it's like unsatisfactory Showing improvement, satisfactory. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Um, so most most every kid gets satisfactory on all those things. But one of the early ones is like, 
keeps fingers out of nose and mouth. And I was like, <laughs> the mark that I got was improving. <laughs> out of Which nose is- slash mouth. Which I was like, yuck. <laughs> but okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, I just want to say, Mom, I know if you listen, I just want to, I don't want you to feel bad, but I imagine that there was some people, some habits we might have picked up from people around the bar that we didn't know were not okay, you know, or because, you know, sometimes dad was just a little busy and, you know, you were working at the pharmacy, so Carl wasn't always super, um, what's the word, attentive is the word I'm looking for. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there might have been some nose picking that might not have gotten corrected until much later. Or we might have been seeing, we might have been like, you know, sitting at the bar coloring with truck drivers, which I did. And guess what truck drivers do? They pick their nose because they're sitting for a long time. Sometimes you don't have things that you're ready, like Kleenex. Guaranteed most. Or or social pressure from people (laughs) being around you ever. (laughs) Uh, I definitely remember coming home from, um, I think it was first grade. It wasn't kindergarten. I was in first grade. And um, there was a guy at the bar, at Dad's bar, that um, he was he was new. He was new. But at this, I was six. I was five or six. And I was definitely like, you're new here. But his, <laughs> name, <laughs> but his name was, do you remember his name was Swamp? Oh, yeah. But Swamp would always play play with me. I'd always yeah. get, I'd literally walk into the door, the front door of the bar, by the way, for people listening. And he would always be sitting at this section that's facing the door, or not facing, like his back was to the door. So without a doubt, I'm sure he heard my tiny feet just coming up them steps. <laughs> yep. And then I was like, it's time to color swamp, like <laughs> get down to business. <laughs> but I definitely had, you know, the big box of crayons. Like I think it was like a 96 count with a sharpener in the back. Oh yeah, the fancy shit. And I got real mad when he didn't sharpen stuff. I got real mad when he colored things that I didn't think were a good idea. Like it was a serious thing. And I definitely was like, we're going to color, but Oh, you are not good at this swamp. You are so not good at this. <laughs> yes. Let's just talk about a six year old hanging out at a bar, sitting at the bar, making this poor man enjoy his beer with a six year old going, I would recommend pink for the hearts. Not that. <laughs> he was a really nice guy though. Oh, great guy. And great pa- guy. patient as the day was long. <laughs> there was many and I felt bad but like I didn't realize it that I just waited for Swamp to leave and then I would just walk just a few steps over to another person on the side of the bar and I was like you want to color? Do you want to do this? <laughs> like I just worked my way around made sure everyone colored <laughs> I was say. Oh, but not the pages I want don't touch no. the pages I want <laughs> Oh, God bless. Anyways, um, so back so, to your project that's To my first old. grader. <laughs> your first grader. First grader. Um, so uh, the reason I picked this project back up is that all of the other things that I was working on were kind of in uh, stasis of one form or another. So I finally did finish the front and the back of the EDT, the Michelle Ooh. Wong EDT, which I love. And I just de- what I decided to do is the the pattern tells you to... Um, make all the pieces. So there's a front, a back, and then two sleeves. You're supposed to make all those four pieces, block those to the correct measurements, sew those all together, and then add the neckline. 
Okay. But I am afraid that I don't have enough yarn. So I didn't want to start one of the sleeves and then not and then get finish one sleeve and then not have enough to finish the other sleeve. So I kind of thought the best thing to do would be to block the pieces I already had, sew those together. So they're basically a vest. And then starting from this the top of the sleeve rather than the bottom, knit from the top down so that mm-hmm. I will know as I'm running out of yarn that I'm running out of yarn and I can finish the sleeve off at the longest it could be before running out of yarn as opposed to making the sleeves separately because in the pattern you make the sleeves from the bottom up oh so you'd have incomplete sleeves you could potentially have incomplete sleeves or you because you're working from the bottom up you could make you know two inches of sleeve and then realize that you only have enough to make another inch of sleeve right and that's where all the 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 um, shoulder shaping comes in and all that stuff. So I decided to do it in reverse because if you knit from the top down, then you can just stop wherever because it's already a sleeve. It's just varying length of sleeve. I will definitely not have enough. but. But the other thing about the sleeves is that you could actually add in a, you could finish the sleeves in another color. So it almost looks like a stripe. Yeah. And then maybe you could even tie that together with your neckline. That's actually my plan. Oh, good. Oh, Interesting sorry. you should mention that. I did. <laughs> I basically went through all of my uh, stash and I found a yarn that was a surprise, actually. It was a prize that I got from the Plucky Knitter. So the Plucky Knitter, every year in June, is their, their birthday is in June. And the Plucky Knitter is a Michigan-based dyer. So every June, she has you know, prizes and things that she does as part of her birthday uh, celebration. And last year I ordered something from one of her shop updates and the prize that I got, it was like a surprise prize was an extra skein of yarn. And it was this, it's a color called laugh out loud. So it's um, a cream colored base with multicolored speckles um, that include yellow and pink, and I don't have it in front of me, so I can't remember all the colors, but it seemed kind of like funfetti colors. Yeah, it sounds um, cool. But the base is a warm-toned cream, which looks really nice with the warm-toned yellow of the EDT, as opposed Very to being cool. like a cool tone base. So it could, you know, on its own, it could probably go either way, but I would say it still has a bit of a, a warm tone to it. So it goes really nicely with the yellow. So that's what I'm going to use to to make up for what I don't have in the actual yellow yarn. Very but anyway, nice. so I was, I finished those pieces and I had to block them. So they were wet. So I couldn't work on them. And also it's summertime and in Iowa this summer has been like punishingly hot. It is so hot. So I decided socks were the thing. So I went back to a pair of socks that I said started six years ago, the Sunday swing sock. Mm-hmm. So um, the Sunday Swing Sock is a pattern in an online magazine called Knitty, K-N-I-T-T-Y. And Knitty is a free online magazine that's been going for, I don't even know how many years at this point, a long time. And it gets support through advertising and through Patreon. So if you... 
Go on. <laughs> so if you don't have any money, you can um, get the patterns anyway. But if you do have money and you want to contribute, you can donate through Patreon. Um, and the there are a lot of famous designers that have contributed to Nitty. So it's a it's a really good resource. I didn't know um, that that was free. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's one of the cool. So, a totally separate note that I will. I swear, I'm not going to stay down this rabbit hole when I start it. Um, <laughs> Patreon is a really cool source of revenue that a lot of people have used to try to support um, themselves and creators while still allowing for people who don't have money to access whatever it is that they're making. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of podcasts have Patreon support. Um, and this knitting magazine has Patreon support. So it, you know, if you're able to donate money for all of the stuff that they provide you for free, you're welcome to do that. And if you can't, well, then there are other people who are doing it and it's going to turn out okay. And then the That's creators get money. People um, are still able to use uh, the services that they provide. And anyway, so this sock was designed by a woman named, I want to say, Katrin Nyberg. So I think for Nitty, pretty much anybody can contribute. But just like any other knitting magazine, you know, it's it's juried in some way, it's edited in some way. And so, you know, just submitting it doesn't mean that you're going to be um, accepted. <clears throat> Turns out the woman, okay, I looked it up. Uh, the designer's name is Crystal Nyberg, N-Y-B-E-R-G. And the pattern on the socks is pretty simple. It's just a simple pattern that has, um, it uses decreases and increases to sort of make waves across the front yeah of the sock. kind of a there's definitely a flow like a some kind of twist pattern almost yeah um but it's like on the way yeah. yeah it's very simple so it doesn't it doesn't require much to memorize it um and the way it's designed is it's a traditional sock um design so the problem, of course, with knitting for a human being is that we are not flat. We have curves and your foot is, you know, a very good example of that. So to design something that goes around your heel, you basically have to either make a decision to make a tube and then cut a hole in the back and add an ankle or a, a heel. And in this case, what they do is you start from the top and you knit a tube down and that's for your leg. And then you just stop knitting the front altogether. You just put that on hold mm -hmm. and you make a flat piece that goes around the back okay. of the heel. Mm -hmm. And as you make that flat piece, so this piece previously wasn't attached to anything. So around the piece that goes around the back of your heel is just a free flap. It's called a heel flap because it, it, it's just like flapping in the wind compared to the tube that is all connected to each other. So you make this flat piece, this flat rectangle in the back, and then you knit that underneath the heel a little bit, and then you pick up stitches from the flap and knit them forward to make a triangle, and the triangle goes over your ankle, 
Mm-hmm. And then you connect it all up again and continue with the tube all the way down the foot. And that's a pretty traditional um, sock construction method. Um, the yarn that I'm using is yarn that I hand dyed myself at the Ann Arbor Fiber Festival. Really? Like 10 years ago. It's really pretty. Yeah. So I hand dyed this with Kool-Aid. Very cool. This is cool. Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid. So um, for those of you out there um, who have never um, dyed before, um, you can just take the regular Kool-Aid, not the sugar-free Kool-Aid because that has right. a sugar substitute in it. Um, but the sugar, the regular Kool-Aid doesn't have any sugar in it yet, so it has nothing that's going to make it sticky. And it has really great, very safe dyes because you're going to eat them. Right. So you don't have to worry about wearing like a mask or anything to prevent yourself from inhaling it and you can make the the kool-aid as dilute or as concentrated as you want it to be depending on what colors you're looking for like if you want really bright vivid colors really dark colors or really kind of pale washed out beachy colors um and you you wash your yarn you wet it um so that it takes up the dye nicely and then in this case we just laid the yarn out and painted it on you can paint oh, it on, mm-hmm. you can pour it on, you can put it in a stock pot and just immerse the whole thing if you aren't trying to do something fancy. Um, and then you microwave it to heat set it. That is very cool. And then you rinse it out and you've got yarn. It's really soft and pretty. Yeah, it's this one is really, I used um, a blue, like a turquoisey blue and a like the lemonade color. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can do it with any number of colors. And like I said, the, because it's a food item, you know, the, the dyes are totally safe to use with little kids or around animals or whatever. Um, and the heat setting, just having it, you basically just put it in a microwave. Like Mm -hmm. you you dye all your yarn and then you put it in a Tupperware, microwave it to set it and rinse it. And then you're good. So, um, so yeah, that's what I'm using and I am really liking it. Uh, I totally screwed up in a way that I, I don't even know how I screwed up, but basically during that whole process of wrapping the sock around the ankle, you're supposed to, cause you have to make it bigger. You have to make the sock bigger so it fits around your ankle and then you're supposed to taper it back down again. I over tapered. I don't even know where, don't even know how lost 10 stitches somehow overdid it. And I was like, oh no, what a bummer. Now I have to go back and undo it all. Well, I tried it on and it fits better than any sock I've ever knit for myself before. (laughs) It's like your body knew what to do. They're like, yeah, taper, taper further. Yeah. So it's really interesting because like the, the top of the sock, like the, the leg of the sock is a 64 inch to, or a 64 inch, 64 stitch. Oh my God. I was like, are you a giant? (laughs) No. 64 stitches, which is a, a normal uh, sock size, a lot of socks are 64 stitch socks. And so the leg does fit perfectly. That's the right size for me. And then somehow I ended up with 54 stitches on the foot and it also fits me perfectly. So now I just have a new thing I'm going to do. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, and then I, because I'm loving knitting the socks so much, I've never been a sock knitter, but for whatever reason, it's in me now. Mm-hmm. I decided to um, also bring with me from Iowa 
a ball of yarn from grandma, actually. Um, this is the Regia cotton tip and top color. And we've talked okay. before about this company a little bit because this same company, Schackenmeyer, is the company that made the kind of magic socks that you gave me. Those oh, cool. leopard yes. print ones. So this is not a leopard print. This is just, this is one of those yarns that um, as you knit it into socks, it will mm -hmm. create what looks like a fair isle pattern. Really? Yeah. So Again, I'm super, cool. I'm super excited to give that a try. I swatched it once. So you can see the, like, here's the way that the yarn was originally manufactured in a skein, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and you can see this big band around the middle where I rewrapped it because I swatched it once and I really liked it. And then of course I got distracted by other pretty things. Um, so I swatched with this yarn before and I really liked it. Um, so I'm excited to go back to it and actually do something useful with it. So this is, um, I mentioned already, it's the cotton, it's called cotton tip and top color, but it is 41% wool. 34% cotton, 25% polyamide. Um, and a lot of yarns add <clears throat> polyamide or nylon because wool and cotton alone do not stand up to the Weird. friction. Yeah. Yeah. But if people are looking for a natural, like a fiber alternative that is not nylon or polyamide, um, mohair is Ooh. super strong and very, very long staple length. So there are some companies like Blacker in the UK and I'm not remembering any others right now, but Blacker has really made a point of making sock yarns that are um, mohair containing so that you don't have to have any synthetic fibers in your socks at all. Very cool. How about you? Um, I am currently in the process of basting together my quilt. I did a baby quilt for a friend of mine. Um, I'll post photos probably this weekend because I'll probably get done with the full quilting, but it was a t-shirt quilt. I'm using t-shirt scraps from strike offs, which is like a, in the, in the fashion industry, we have things called strike offs, which are essentially, um, quick prints, quick you know, swatches of things for us to approve for color, for layout, for what hand feel, like whatever. And I used a bunch of scraps from a year ago that they were tossing. And they're from the brand Cat and Jack, which was a brand that my friend helped launch. So I wanted her to be, you know, to kind of be surrounded by her work. And I think it'd be really cute to, you know, make a quilt out of that. So I have and a lot how of... How much would her kid love having, it? like as the kid grows up, having yeah. a quilt that is something that exists only because their mom found Help. it. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. No, it's, it's very cool. And there's a lot of great people who've helped launch that brand. So I hope that uh, a number of people get to see it at some point and just be like, look, you know, these are from the, you know, first year or second year of the brand. It's pretty cool. Um, so the only thing was, is that it took a lot more fabric than I thought. I became, I started doing a patch quilt versus a planned, you know, square quilt or anything like that. I started using the swatches that I best could and I divided them like every, as I sewed pieces together, you know, you cut it in different directions and different ways to help make it look more and more patch-like. However, that eats away with seam allowance and I definitely did not get enough of the interfacing that helps stabilize knits. 
for this purpose. So I had to make do with some other interfacing I had that is not as sturdy, it's a little bit more delicate and doesn't like to be handled as much as the woven ones. And uh, I made it work, but oh, that one was a tough one. It was a little, because knits just want to grow and grow and grow, you know? So nonetheless, it's getting to, it's getting, you know, put together and handled. I will, I just basted it all together. I'm going to find out um, later today when I start using the machine to knit it, or not, not to knit it, but to um, actually do the quilting part. You know, the, the idea of sandwiching all the layers and giving it a proper structure. We'll find out how well it does. But I have um, the top layer is all like jersey, like t-shirt jersey that's been interfaced um, with a stabilizing uh, interfacing fusible. And then on the back side, I used all all um, terry, like a French terry or a, um, what's the word? It's, it's sweatshirt fleece. Mm -hmm. It's fleece. So I have French terry and fleece, but they're all heavier and they don't move as much. They don't sh shake all about. So you don't need to stabilize them as often, depending on like, you know, how they're knitted and whatnot. So that's what I'm currently working on. That's a really good one. So is that, couple... that going to be a two-sided quilt then where like both sides are something that you've designed? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, I did. Because again, I was trying my hardest to use all of these strike offs and pieces of, you know, fabric. So instead of having a solid back, like a lot of quilts have solid backs, mm -hmm. I decided to do a, um, a pieced back. So it can be a little difficult. I don't know how it's going to look in total, but um, it's my first time doing a piece back. So we'll see. Nice. Well, it'd be really yeah. nice to have like the two different textures too. Like the, yeah. the jersey and the fleece will be, they'll feel very different. They'll feel different and they'll also have like a really different visual. So who knows what the kid will want to see. We'll find <laughs> out. True. Um, so yeah. And the one thing that I'm doing that's really cool on it is that this is, this is my hope. We'll find out in a couple of weeks if it's true. Um, my hope was to use, um, I have some additional Jersey left, not Jersey. It's a, uh, this one is actually French terry. I'm going to do reverse French terry. So I'll have the loops on the outside and I'm going to use that as my binding. Mm -hmm. And you know how, when you cut a t-shirt or a sweatshirt, it curls. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of the textures I'm going to go with. I'm going to have an unfinished binding. So it kind of has nice. a, a raw edge around yeah, yeah, yeah. it. So we'll see how it turns out. I'm, I'm hopeful. That sounds really crossed. cool. That sounds really cool. So we'll see if it doesn't work, you'll find out about it soon enough. <laughs> it's true. But yeah, that's what I'm working on. Um, plenty of a project it's taken. I, the baby shower was rescheduled. So I had to, but, and when I found out about the baby shower being rescheduled, it was only like four days beforehand. And I, did not have time. Like I should have been working on this a while ago and I did it. <laughs> so I definitely been like plowing through it a little faster than I would normally feel comfortable. But at the same time, I'm one of those people. I'm like, well, I've done a baby blanket in a day. I could do this. I've never added, <laughs> I've never added in the variables of a knit, uh, doing it all out of these scraps instead of having like perfect pieces, um, making binding like, damn, what was I thinking? So, uh, that's where I'm at right now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so for the pieces, are you making a, so it's scrappy. So are you doing it pieced like the way I think of English pieced quilting where it overall makes a bigger pattern or is it more free form and organic than that? Like what is the design? It is 
very much a it's all like squares and rectangles mm -hmm. so it, that is organ that's pretty regimented um but it is kind of free form in that as i sewed things together then i cut them back apart and i created lots of little squares and rectangles from it so i would say it's pretty freestyled i still lay it out though like in strips mm -hmm. of finished like i say patched strips and that's how you can kind of make sure that the how you how you want the color mix to look so you don't have patterns next to other patterns and things like that right right well that's really cool um yeah yeah i was just thinking you know i i am somebody who i've seen a lot of people do like what i would consider truly free form quilting like with a lot of um organic shapes and right and it's art quilting i think is i like some of it and others of it, I can appreciate the technical skill and the creativity that went into it without being drawn to it visually. Mm -hmm. I definitely am more drawn to um, geometric patterns. That's just that's just what my eye tends to go toward. It's what I tend to enjoy. So, I think I, I like a lot of different styles. I think that the freeform quilting, which I've heard of freestyle and freeform quilting, it's because quilting is so math dependent, it's hard for me to shift my brain to this free form idea. The other thing about it is um, you have to let go of control and quilting, just like knitting, is a lot of control. And you're like, I have control over this. I can do these things. But free form is very, it's, you, there's gotta, you gotta be a certain kind of Zen person to be like, I'm cool with this. That's all right. And I'm sure there's still a lot of planning involved. It's just, not something I've gotten to. So yeah, I could see that. Um, so yeah, that's my, my work right now. I have some other things, but I'm like, nah, not ready to talk about it in case I don't actually <laughs> finish them. So yeah. Well, do you want to give out a gold star? Sure. Would you like to go first? I've been going first lately. All right. Well, I will because I'm pretty pumped about it. Nice. I'm pumped. It's a sad story that starts with a good, but it ends well. But I'll, I'll say this. We did have to put our, our, one of our dogs down a couple weeks ago. And uh, it was a very honest choice in, and responsible choice because he bit somebody while trying to dominate their dog. There was a confusion. He was definitely confused, but I can't have that kind of liability in my life, right? We all have to do those things. However, the woman... And he was, and he was not a small dog. No, he was a hundred pound pit bull who was 15 years old, not socialized in the South or not socialized and from the South. So it just, the odds are stacked against him to do well in a very socialized dog neighborhood. Right. But he did well for as long as he could. Mm -hmm. um, but due to this situation, I just could not have that running around. And I love him very, very much. He's a great dog to us. He was a great dog to us. But anyways, the point was, is that there was a victim here. And she's my neighbor and she's really nice. And I really like her. And we've definitely had conversations about our smaller dog, Tubi, going over to hang out with her dog, Jax, and um, to have a little puppy play date. Like we like these people, we see them often. So anyways, we're all getting through it. It's all a little traumatizing, but it's been two weeks since uh, the incident. And I decided to go to Lush to put together a care package. And I, I'm not a big back body person. Like I don't really do a whole lot of home self care. Um, I don't own a lot of products, 
but I do like how Lush operates their business. I like how they work through a lot of challenges that other, you know, beauty and uh, beauty and bath companies don't, you know, like they're like, how do we do this without packaging? How do we do this so that we don't have to ship goods, you know, finished goods, far away distances. Let's make them all here. So like, it's, I kind of love their business. So I may not be the person who buys this stuff for myself, but I definitely know it's a place I want to go to. And so today I went and I picked up a number of things and they are doing such a killer job on their package free world. They have almost everything is package free now. And if you want to know about the product that you purchase, they have tiny stickers that they print out with barcodes. And I need to look a little closely closer at it, but you can scan them and it'll pull up on your phone what it is, how to use it, what's the, you know, what's in it, where was it made, who made it that day. It's all very, very involved. So you can get all the information and then some. And at the same time, I'm not bringing all of that shit home. Well, all the plastic that it would normally yeah. be printed on and all that. Yeah. All of those things. And then they also, I was like, you know, this is a gift for somebody and I want them to, you know, have a pampering moment and a healing moment. I just said what happened. And this girl took me through the whole store and not, didn't try to upsell me on anything, but just tried to help me find the best things for this person in particular. And it was just a very caring, cool moment in which we're both like, well, we don't know what smells and scents she likes, but let's like go with what might feel best. Let's go with what is a crowd favorite. Let's do, you know, this will do this and this money, anything you spend on this is a hundred percent goes to charities xyz like all these things like we just went through it all together and as she packaged it up she was like is this a gift do you want to wrap it and i was like well yeah what's your wrapping options and they're cloth bandanas they have really beautiful printed bandanas they're not like i i say bandanas they're just swatches they're just mm -hmm. but they have finished edges you could wear it like a bandana and they have three different sizes and you could pick from all these patterns on the wall oh cool and and they call them not something. I'll have to figure out the exact name for it. But, um, it, you know, it was like five bucks to wrap up your gift, which, again, is responsible. It's not like free wrapping at Christmas. But it's something that when you give the gift, someone can continue to use it. Well, I mean, you're going to pay like $4 for crappy Amazon wrapping when you get gifts wrapped by Amazon for $1 extra. You have something that isn't garbage at the end. Yeah, I loved it. And I got to pick a pattern that I thought was cute. And they showed me how they wrapped it. They're like, if you ever want to do this yourself, like do it like this. And they tucked the end so it looked like a bow. I was like, get the fuck out. This is awesome. <laughs> I was just, you know, we're all moving towards, and I say we all, because whether you like it or not, Starbucks is banning straws in two years. Um, Target company, at all of their cafes are getting rid of straws by 2019. I believe is the, the date. Like everyone's moving away oh, I mean, from single use plastic. Last so week I went down to Navy pier and there was a lady who was in line talking to her friends and she's like, this is so weird. Why is everybody giving me paper straws? So this is like random, very touristy places are giving up on single use plastic. That's awesome. And it's like, until we find a better way to contain trash, until we all know that everything we put is going to stay in its little bag. It's still not good, but the thing is, things fly away. You know, tops to, to lids, or not tops to lids, but lids off of cups and straws. All that stuff gets 
sometimes just blows away. I know it it's not your fault, yeah. but it goes somewhere. And also like being trapped in another plastic bag, it just sits there for thousands of years. That's right. It outlives all of us. So I'm thrilled that the paper straws are out. I'm thrilled that Starbucks is moving to sippable lids um, and Lush is killing it on minimizing all of their packaging and not, and doing it in a way that is compelling. I was really impressed. That's awesome. Yeah. So that gold star. Cool. Definitely. I, I'm, I am I've always loved lush for this. Like I'd walk by and be like, what is that smell? It's amazing. <laughs> but it was out of my price range, you know, but when it comes to buying a gift, yeah, I'm going to head there first. Yeah, I will. That Easy. sounds great. That's very cool. What's, what's your gold star? So my gold star is an unusual one. It, it, and it's actually a change of heart for me from, I would have said, the opposite of this two weeks ago. Ooh. But uh, this, so anybody who's in the healthcare industry probably knows that July 1st is when all the new doctors show up in the hospital. Right? Ooh, July I didn't 1st, know that. Yes. July <laughs> 1st is the beginning of the um, residency year. So if you go to a hospital on, you know, June 26th, Everybody in that hospital, everybody working in that hospital as a physician has been there a minimum of 11.5 months. But come July 1st, that's when the new crop of interns comes in. And this is everywhere all over the United States. That's the standard calendar for residency. It goes mm -hmm. from July 1st to June 30th. And so, um, you know, people like we'll make jokes about how July is not the month to get sick because when you go to the hospital, everybody's a brand newbie. Um, they don't know how the computer system works. And I'll say, I'll say this. It's not that they're not smart and capable. It's just that they're managing a new place, new systems. They're just trying to, they're just trying to find where they're supposed to be at the right time. Yeah. So that's it. It's, yeah. They're capable doctors. It's just, where they are. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if I ever told you this, but I was the last class of interns who did 30 hour call shifts. So that's not something that's done in the United States anymore, but I was dangerous. The, well, uh, there are pros and cons to okay. everything. <laughs> so I'll just say I was the last class. And so, sorry, I um, didn't mean to no, no, no. overstate that, but no, no, it's... no, no, no. I think, I think that, um, in order for a system to change, there has to be a really thoughtful evaluation of why that system doesn't work and how to make the next system work better. And that doesn't always happen. A lot of times people just say, well, we have to change the system and then they change it, but don't think about what could be the potential problems with the new system that mm. the old system didn't have, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, okay. um, on my first day of work ever, literally my whole life, my very first day of being a doctor, um, I worked a 30 hour shift in the VA and that night, it was a Sunday, of course, of course it was a Sunday. <laughs> yeah. And, um, at 10 AM I got paid or 10 AM, 10 PM. I got paged that a guy on the inpatient psychiatry unit, so it's a psychiatry unit, not a medical unit, um, is having chest pain. And then it come to find out that this is a guy who had been receiving dialysis, which means that his kidneys do not work. Mm. And the chest pain was after three days 
of very poor intake because he was feeling sick. So he just didn't eat as much and he had diarrhea. So this is a guy whose kidneys don't work and now he's dehydrated. Dehydrated. Yeah. He's got chest pain, which means that probably his potassium is through the roof. So I checked it and it was. And then I checked an EKG and sure enough, he was having the the um, EKG changes associated with too much potassium in the blood. And if that continued, he would die. And so I knew what to do. I knew how to give him medications that would cause him to get rid of potassium, right? Mm -hmm. You can make people poop it out. You can make people pee it out. You can give people IV fluid. There are all these different things that you can do. I knew what to do. But because I was an inpatient psychiatry unit, I didn't know what was allowable on the, that unit versus when do I have to transfer him to a medical unit because only the medical units can provide the things that are necessary. And more importantly than all that, how do I document it all in the computer so that all of the staff who need to make this happen know that it needs to happen? So um, that's exactly, like you say, it's exactly the problem. The issue was never that first year doctors don't know what to do. It's that they are now working in a gigantic health system that functions in a way that they were not necessarily trained to function. So, you know, moral of that story is, um, you know, always call your friendly medicine resident and they will get the guy transferred to the medicine unit and everything will be fine. (laughs) But anyway, um, so July 1st, two weeks ago, it was my first time as an inpatient attending um, when the new interns came in. And I was just like, oh, God, these kids are going to know nothing and it's going to be a disaster. And, you know, basically I will end up doing a bunch of the work for them because, of course, they won't know what they're doing. And that's kind of how it is. Um, and what I was not ready for and what I'd completely forgotten is that uh, the new the new interns are fucking pumped to be there. They Aww. are so excited to be doctors. They are so excited to talk with people about their problems. And because I'm on the inpatient psychiatric unit, the one of the most important things that we have to offer people who are there is time and compassion. Absolutely. And these new interns are like brimming with it. Oh, that's they awesome. Have, they have nothing but interest in everything that's happening on the unit. They're not tired. Um, even when they do have to take call shifts, they don't have to take them overnight. So they still get to sleep in their own bed and come in the next morning refreshed. Um, they are interested in learning. They are interested in solving sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like structural problems. So like when there's a miscommunication between different units or when there's a miscommunication between a patient and themselves, they're interested in figuring out how that happened and preventing it from happening again. Um, They're just really enthusiastic and really interested. And yeah, they're a little bit scared, but that's natural and that makes sense. Um, And it was just, it was the most rewarding inpatient service I've ever been on. That's Um, awesome. It was really wonderful. So yeah, was it extra work for me compared to the people who were there at the end of the year? Yeah, because 
they, I did have to sit down and explain, okay, well, so now this is how you put in these orders, but these orders have to be done slightly differently. And then when you discharge a patient, this is what you have to do. Like there was a lot of extra stuff that I don't typically yeah. have to teach people, but Worth it. the energy and the attitude were so good. Um, like all the residents I worked with before have all been really interested in their work and they had really good attitudes, but there's a difference between somebody who has a good attitude, um, but also has like 15 million things to do versus a person who's like, I got nothing to do, but kill it at this job today. Right here, right now. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Um, and that, that was really wonderful. And I really think that it translated to the people we were working with too, because I feel like, um, we had a couple people come in who really believed very strongly that nobody cared about their problems and nobody really cared, um, what they needed. Nobody had, people had, you know, said, Oh, we'll do the following things, but then didn't really follow up on it. Things kind of fell through the cracks when you got a brand new intern, they have a checklist and nothing falls through the cracks. They are ticking that <laughs> list off every day. And then they follow up with you to tell you what they did, tell you what they forgot, tell you what they're going to get better this time. Like that's the other thing is that they, they te- at least the people I was working with um, were super into accountability so that if they did forget something that they had said they were going to do or had um, not come back to follow up with somebody on something that they said they were going to follow up on and move on to the next steps. They said it straight up out loud. Like, Hmm. this is what I did. I ran out of time on this. I forgot to write that down, but I'm going to get it right next time. And that makes a world of difference. People are, people are very willing to forgive the mistakes you make. If you cop to the mistake you make. Yeah. Um, When you try to cover it up and make it not sound so bad. That's when people get upset. Well, so I do have a question, a follow-up mm-hmm. question to this. Mm-hmm. So were these, do you, do you think that there's like been a sea change in, in education that has changed the attitudes for these interns or just happen to be a cool group of interns? Like what, where did this change come from? You think as far as like the accountability, the energy, or do you just think it was like this special group that you just happened to be there for that day? I think there is a bit of a sea change because, um, I didn't work just with, um, interns who are physicians. I also worked with a, a, a physician's assistant fellow. So this is a guy who finished his PA training and was doing an, a fellowship in psychiatry. So he'd done a little bit of outpatient work and he was coming inpatient. So I worked with him too. Um, And so his training is completely different. The focus is different. Um, The responsibilities are different. And yet somehow he had that same, he had enthusiasm. He had accountability. Um, And I think that, I think that it is a sea change in the way that, and I don't know if it's a generational thing or if it's specific to healthcare, because I feel like you see a lot about accountability now on, um, in politics, young people demanding accountability from their local uh, leaders. You see that um, online where people are asking for um, journalists and um, thought leaders to be accountable for the things that they said and did. 
So I don't know if it's a, if it's specific to the healthcare industry, but it certainly does seem to be a generational thing, at least as far as I can see, that's the sense that I get, um, that these younger folks and that the people that I'm working with are kind of, they're mostly late twenties, mm-hmm. early thirties. Um, yeah. So I do, I do oh, think cool. it is, I do think it is kind of a sea change, but I will say that I also think that the, the people, at least, at least in the medical schools that I've worked in, um, which has been two university of Michigan, university of Iowa. So they're public institutions. Um, they have a lot of accountability themselves to the public. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, they have talked a lot more about accountability than, than the conversations that were had when I was in medical school, for example. So it's definitely something that's happening in healthcare. I just don't know if it's only healthcare. Right on. I mean, that's a, I don't have a, I don't have anything to add to that at the moment, but I think that's something to definitely um, consider in my life and to look at and look for it to see if maybe it's beyond just healthcare. But I think, and I think you might be right that it is beyond healthcare. I think your guess is right. Um, but I, I do really love where this is uh, going. And I'm so glad you had such a good day on July 1st. That's really cool. I did. Well, and the whole two weeks. And oh, the sorry. other thing, yeah. yeah, so starting July 1st up until now. The other thing that I will say is that it put me in mind of something that um, an old supervisor, a former supervisor of mine said when I was in residency. So um, there was a, as part of my residency training and all psychiatry residents are required to do this. They're required to do uh, psychodynamic psychotherapy, which is um, a, a psychoanalytically informed version of psychotherapy. So the idea is that you think about people's defense mechanisms and their schema through which they view themselves and view the world and how those dynamics play out in their daily lives and play out in their relationships with people and their relationships with the world. That's a requirement in psychiatric training. And one of the guys who taught me and supervised all of my classmates was a guy named uh, Dr. Jonathan Sugar, who is a a psychoanalyst in Ann Arbor. And, you know, he was one of the first people to talk about accountability from the perspective of interpersonal relationships as opposed to public accountability, like where you, where you, um, admit, you know, to your coworkers that you made a mistake or, you know, admit publicly on TV that you made an error or something. He was talking about, uh, dynamics and interpersonal relationships and accountability. And he said that, you know, when you've made an error, you tell somebody that you made an error and you acknowledge it. You don't wait for them to point it out. Although if they point it out, you acknowledge what they've said also. So the thing that um, my supervisor said that I still hold on to all the time, and I thought about it a lot during the last two weeks, is that people will forgive errors of the mind. They don't forgive errors of the heart. So if you misspoke, if you... um, you know, forgot to do something, if you own up to it, people will accept that, you know, they might not like it, they may be mad at you. But somewhere in there, they know that you, you were trying your best, and you made a mistake. But you intended the best, the as you know, you intended to do well, and that you're going to try to do it better the next time. Um, But if you 
lie, if you dissemble, if you, you know, prevaricate, people can tell when you don't mean what you say. Um, they can tell when you're feeding them platitudes and you don't really mean it. Um, and it, I don't know how people can tell those things. Like, I don't know what cues we give off verbally and facially that show that, but people can tell the difference. Um, and I think, you know, people could really tell that when, when folks on the team made a mistake or dropped the ball on something and apologized that they knew they, they meant it, you know, and that was really cool to see too. It was cool to see people learning how to be patient with each other and learning to forgive each other, even in times that are difficult. So. I love it. Yeah. Oh, I always feel like our gold star turns out like my favorite area of the podcast. Yeah. Yes, definitely. It's always really cool for me to, to hear what's been going on with you lately that has really resonated with you for whatever reason. I really like that. Of course, I, I, I love knowing what you're doing and, part of doing the podcast was just wanting to learn more about your creative process and how you even physically do the crafts that you do. But gold star is probably my favorite. <laughs> Same. Same. Um, yeah, I dig it. And I really, I like, uh, it's really great hearing from a place of the medical industry, which is not something I'm super into or deep into other than you're a doctor and I really support you and love you, but it's really great to hear when the people that we trust also have inspiring moments and they also have a renewed and refreshed perspective on the younger, you know, up and coming doctors coming in. I think that's awesome. I think it's a great experience for everybody and it gives a lot of people um, renewed trust and faith in, in this industry, in this work, because it is life and death. It is, well-being. There's so much involved with it. It's beyond just sustaining life. It's about making life better. So when yeah. you have a moment that you're excited about, that makes me super happy too, because you're not the only one. You can't be the only one. There's well, no, and I, no, definitely not. And I think that it was really, um, it was a corrective experience for me. It was taking all of my assumptions about what based on my own personal experience of feeling inept, feeling scared, feeling um, overwhelmed, that made me think that that's how everybody must feel and that um, it was going to be this really difficult thing. Um, and I was wrong. I was totally wrong. It's so great. Yeah. It's like it almost like gives you permission to let go of your bad feelings about it. Yeah, or yeah, definitely. It it sort of gives me permission to um to approach it as more of a a blank slate, which I think is is really critical for most things we do to like let go of our preconceptions of what that experience is going to be like and just give it the fair try. I would say that in this last 2 weeks, it's weird that you're mentioning 2 weeks. In the last two weeks, I've had a number of friends talk to me about some really difficult life changes that are going on for them as far as like divorces or second guessing their careers or children or the idea of being a mother, like all these really extremely challenging ideas. Mm -hmm. And sorry if anyone listens to this podcast that is one of those friends I've 
talked with and that they've shared their moments with me. But a lot of the advice I've been trying to follow myself and then and therefore pushing it out onto others as well, like I can't help but do that, is to not approach with assumptions and to approach all things that they could be better than you thought versus coming in with preconceived notions of that this is going to be terrible. This is going to be awful. This person's going to say this to me or these are, this is what I expect. I expect the worst. And um, yeah, there's going to be some really bad situations in which, yeah, it's not going to be good, but maybe it's not as bad as we thought. Or maybe, you know, you might be pleasantly surprised by something else. So it's, it's a, it's a really uh, heartwarming moment to hear about your, um, your, your new residence. <laughs> so it's very cool. Yeah. But anyway, well, I guess that's kind of it. I love how we ended that one. That was really great. Sorry guys. Everyone's listening to us going, we did it. We nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> We're so great at life. You're hearing like the post team mm-hmm. huddle at the Olympics. Like we did it. We fucking did it. Um, <laughs> gold stars for everybody. Uh, but very good. Well, thank you. Yes. Thank So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you would like to find us, you can find us on Instagram as Stitchcraft Sisters. You can find us on Ravelry as a Stitchcraft Podcast. And our website is stitchcraftsisters.com. So you can listen to episodes there or you can download it on iTunes. Um, if you do listen to it on iTunes, please do live a review so that people who are looking for podcasts like this find us. Um, and if you have comments or questions or, uh, feedback of any type, please leave it either. You can leave it as a comment on the website where it will stay private unless we publish it. So like if you have a private comment that you want to make or a concern or whatever, you can make it on the website. It does not become public unless we publish it. And if you say you don't want it published, we won't do it. Um, and then if you just want to call us out for real on our shit, go to Instagram where we can't delete it. (laughs) <laughs> and we will answer it <laughs> or hide and cry and tell you you were right you know all, all is fine yep all answers the island all answers um, <laughs> well thank you again and uh thank you all for listening and for all of our users who have given us really great recommendations and have told us have told us sweet things funny things and uh to keep us going thank you Thank you, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.